Let's take our Bibles today and go to the 91st Psalm. The book of Psalms will be in the 91st Psalm this morning. This morning we're in the 91st Psalm, and the title of our message today is this, The Problems, the Promises, and the Perfection. The Problems, the Promises, and the Perfection. Last Sunday, we began this brand new series. We're calling it, This is My Story, This is My Psalm. And uh, we're studying the book of Psalms. And uh, we talked about several things last week. We first of all considered the magnitude of such a study. 150 chapters. You know, how do you accomplish that? And how do you figure out how you're going to do that? And and I, I was sharing with you, I believe we're just going to, as the Lord leads, we're not going to do it really in a systematic way, 1 through 150. We're not going to try to accomplish it in a certain amount of time, just as the Lord leads. And so we may be in the Psalms for here a few months, and we may put the, hit the pause button and study something else for a little while, come back to it. But as the Lord directs us, we'll go through these Psalms. And um, then we're also talked about the depth of this study. Uh, we talked about the, the human authors of the Psalms, at least seven known human authors, uh, but there are 49 or 50 of the Psalms that we call orphan Psalms. We're not sure who the author is. And we talked also about the poetry uh, of this book and how it, it differs from our Western poetry where we rely on rhyme and rhythm and the Psalms and the other poetical books in our Bible are, are of an Eastern or Hebrew type, and it's, it's based on contrast and comparison. And then there are five books within one book in the book of Psalms. Five different categories or five different books as you study throughout it. It covers from the Pentateuch all the way back in the books of Moses all the way to the captivity. Hundreds of years apart, these Psalms cover those time periods. And each of the psalms typically fall in one of two categories, either a psalm of lament or a psalm of praise. And then we talked, and this is where we want to really take our applications from, the personalization of this study. Uh, each psalm has a story or some details behind it. And we want to learn a little bit about those details and what was going on that was the, the, the backdrop for these psalms. And these stories that the Psalms follow, they make for easy application for us. I even asked last week, how many of you have a favorite Psalm or a Psalm that you've claimed to be your own? And the majority of us would agree that we've had a Psalm that's been personal, that's been precious to us as individuals. And we trust that this study will do that even to a greater degree as we study these particular uh, uh, Psalms. Last week we were in the 90th Psalm, which is the oldest of all the Psalms and perhaps the oldest of all Scripture in our Bible. It was written by Moses accounting the time of the wilderness wanderings of the nation of Israel. And from that passage we, we emphasize the significance or the importance of time. We broke it down into days and how we are, according to Psalm 90 verse 12, were to value each day. In verse 13 and 14, we're to remember God's mercy each day. Uh, verses 15 and 16, we're to lean on, learn the lessons each day. And then according to verse number 17, we're to let God be God each day. 
let him work these things out for good in our lives. This morning we want to go right next door to the 91st Psalm. I'd ask you to follow along with me as I read this for us, these 17, or excuse me, 16 verses in Psalm 91. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. And from the noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him, upon, up, I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Many would consider, as I said earlier, Psalm 91 to be an orphan psalm. Uh, no author is listed here in, in the text or in the superscription of Psalm 91. Uh, there are no other supporting scriptures that I know of in the Bible that would state who the human author is. But there is some evidence, and there is a thought out there, a, a, a pretty dominant thought, that Moses also could be the author of this particular psalm. In fact, many categorize Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 as partner psalms, written by Moses about the same time and same topics. In fact, hold your place here in Psalm 91, and, and go with me to the, to the Pentateuch, to Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy chapter number 33, it's almost the last chapter of that book, second to last chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 33. This is a book of Moses, except for that last chapter, chapter 34, describes Moses' death, uh, when he died, how he died, and so someone else wrote that, probably Joshua or another uh, individual wrote that 34th chapter, but Chapter 33, and, and the previous ones are by Moses. If you look at verse number 1, it says, And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And so these are the last moments before Moses is going to die. Now I want to remind you, Moses didn't die because he was just an old man and just because he was in poor health. In fact, if you read about Moses, he was 120 years old, which is old. But he had strength and vigor still. Uh, in fact, in chapter 34, we'll see he climbs a mountain to where he will die. 
Uh, is it Mount Nebo? Yeah, Mount Nebo there, uh, or the mountain of Nebo in chapter 34. He climbs this mountain. He's got strength and vigor. The reason Moses dies is because of Numbers chapter 20, where Moses disobeys God, and he strikes the rock twice, and he, and he takes that, uh, that glory from God, and he disobeys God, and God uh, gives a consequence to that. And so Moses is at the end of his life, but he's not some frail, feeble individual here. He's got his mind about him, he's got his senses about him, he has a strength about him, and he writes these closing words in chapter number 33, encouraging the nation of Israel as they get ready to cross over into the land of promise. And notice what he says in verse 27 of chapter 33. He says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now, we'll pause there, and I, I hope you held your place in Psalm 90, 90 and 91, because go back to Psalm chapter 90 and look at verse number 1. It says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The first part of that verse in chapter 33 of Deuteronomy uh, highlights the eternality of God. And then in Psalm chapter 90, in those first two verses, he highlights the eternality of God. But then we go to the second part of verse 27. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone, and the fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine, also as heaven shall drop down dew. And that would correspond much with the safety and protection that God promises in Psalm 91 as the children of Israel go into this land of promise. And so we believe there's a good possibility that Moses is the author here of Psalm 91 as well, Again, reminding the nation of Israel of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's ability as they go into the land of promise. Now there's your story behind this psalm, or the most likely of the stories. So what can we gain from this psalm? Well, the psalm mentions several enemies. Chapter 91 mentions several enemies that the nation of Israel would have to face while going through the land of promise. I'd like to call these enemies today the problems. Uh, notice with me, as follow along, as I just highlight in verse number 3, verse number 5, verse number 6, these problems that they would encounter. Verse 3 says, the snare of the fowler. Now, those are some old English words, but you hear the word fowl in there, and it's speaking of birds, and you hear, see the word snare in there, it's speaking of a trap. And so he's giving some pictures, some typology here, that you can avoid the snare of the fowl, the trap of those individuals that are over there. The snare of the fowler was a problem. The noisome pestilence in verse number three. It's speaking of a fatal disease, the terror by night in verse number five, uh, the arrow that flieth by day in verse number six, in verse number, or excuse me, verse number five, and then in verse number six it says, the pestilence that walketh in darkness, and then in verse number six, the destruction at noonday. I think what he's highlighting here in each of these situations that problems can come at any day, any time of the day, and any day. Wouldn't it be nice if you could schedule your next problem? 
Uh, I'd like to schedule my next fiasco in my life on this day, this time. I'll be prepared for it. But it'll come at any point, any time, doesn't it? It comes early in the morning. It comes late at night. Uh, it comes in the middle of the day. You just don't know when the next trial, the next difficulty, the next problem will arise. Also notice with me there in verse number, verse number, where is it? Verse number 13, he speaks about the adder. He speaks about the lion and the dragon. Now, no doubt there probably were some wild animals in this wilderness, in this promised land that they were going to. But it isn't it interesting that he uses these three these three, these three animals. An adder, it's a snake, it's a serpent. A lion, you know what a lion is, and a dragon. Uh, we've recently been studying on Wednesday evenings, we're going through the book of Revelation, we're studying the end times, and we've recently been in chapter number 12, verse number 9. We've learned that the great red dragon in Revelation 12, 9 is who? It's Satan, right, it's Satan. That's the picture, that's the typology there. We learned in 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8, that there is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Who is that roaring lion in 1 Peter chapter number 5? It is Satan. And of course, we know in the book of Genesis chapter number 3, Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent, of a snake. So it's interesting that he uses these three creatures as the animals that they might have to encounter, the problems they might have to encounter. And really behind all of these things is Satan. Satan is a problem-causing individual. He's a problem-causing being, and he wants to make our lives as miserable and as difficult as he can. And so this young nation of Israel was now getting ready to cross over into the land of promise, and they're learning here there will be some problems. But not only are there problems, there are some promises that are given. Now, we got to go back to verse number one as we study this today to realize that these promises of Psalm 91 come with a condition. Look at verse number one. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, here's the picture, church. It's clear. Those that dwell, that word dwell means to remain, to sit, to abide. Those that remain or dwell close to God, under his shadow. Uh, again, we're talking about the nation of Israel in the wilderness wanderings. What was above the children of Israel in that entire time of those wilderness wanderings? They had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, Correct. Everywhere they went, and there was the God directing them by this pillar of fire and this cloud above them. And so wherever they were, there was a shadow over them. Now, no doubt there were some of those people that got outside of that shadow sometimes. And when they got away from the shadow, there was danger. There was, there were, there was, uh, they, they lost that, that protection not only that, if this is Moses writing this, Moses was of the tribe of Levi, and his, his, uh, his, his tent was very near the tabernacle. 
And no doubt, he could have been right out the doors, uh, out, of the, out the door of his tent could have been the tabernacle where the presence of God. And so this picture here is of those that remain close to God, get this, will experience the cover of God. When you are close to God, you can anticipate his protection, his guidance, his help in your life. But church, when we walk away, I'm not saying God walks away from us, but when we walk away, you're putting yourself in a dangerous place. So the, the, the promises here come with this condition of remaining, of dwelling, of abiding under the presence of God. Now when you do that, Notice these verses again with me. Verse number two, you'll see that God is our refuge, or it was, would be their refuge. Uh, this was a place of safety. This was a place where nothing bad could happen to you. Uh, when I pastored in Columbus, Ohio, our church had a pretty big portion of property that was not well developed at all. It was woods, it was fields, and and uh, we had a section of our property that was down below and it could be hunted. Uh, and we had one man in our church that was a hunter, a bow hunter. And, and so he'd asked if he, could, if he could hunt on that bottom portion of our property and we gave him permission. Right next to our property was an animal refuge. <laughs> right next, it bordered it. He said he'd be up at his tree stand and there'd be 20 deer over there looking at him. Like, na 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 you can't get me. I'm safe over here. Now, every once in a while, one of those deer would hop across the line. And that bow would come up. And that deer made a fatal mistake. But here, when you abide under the presence, under the cover of God, you have a refuge. Verse 2 describes a fortress. This speaks of some a uh, large uh, um, dwelling place, a protective place, a fortress. God is my cover in verse number four. God is my shield and buckler, verse number four. And even in verse 11 and 12, he speaks of protective angels. He shall give his angels charge over thee. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Maybe that'd be a good study for us sometime. Guardian angels. I tell you, some of you need three or four guardian angels, the way we live our lives. But, you know, is that something that is accurate? But he's describing here these, these guardian angels. And so we have problems, but there are promises. But this chapter changes in verse number 14. Again, let's consider that Moses is the author. You're reading things from his perspective. It's the inspired word of God, but God allowed those authors to use their experiences, their, uh, their, their, their lives, their, their, their tendencies, and you can see the, the, the individual writing through this. But when you get to verse 14, 15, and 16 of this chapter, there's a change in authorship. There's a change in tone. There's a change in tense. Look at it, what it says here. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. That's not Moses. You remember? Moses is dying. Moses in one chapter goes up to the, uh, to the top of Mount, the mountains of Nebo and he dies there. God, God buries him. This is God speaking now. Look at verse 14 again from the perspective of God writing directly to the nation of Israel, directly to us. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. 
I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. We've got problems. We've got promises. Aren't you glad we've got perfection? We've got God that steps in. We've got God that shows up. Now again, verse 14 gives us a, a, uh, a condition. It's because he hath set his love. It reminds us of that verse number one it, of this condition uh, of us remaining with God and abiding with God and loving God. But notice what happens. There are, uh, there are seven th- promises or that, that God gives here. He says, I will deliver him in verse 14. I will set him on high. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, in verse 15. I will deliver and honor him, in verse 15. I will satisfy him, verse 16. And I will show him my salvation. We've considered the problems. And church, I wish I could say this. Wouldn't it be great that if you got saved, you never had another problem in life? I can't say that. If I did say it, it would not be true. It wouldn't be biblical. John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, those men that followed him, he says, in this world ye shall have tribulation. Spoke it directly to them, and we can claim the same promise. We cannot. We live in a sin-cursed world, and there are going to be problems. You're going to have financial problems. You're going to have physical problems. You're going to have health problems. You're going to have family problems, emotional problems. Whatever you can think there, problems are part of this life. And I'm grateful for the promises. But remember, you must stay close to God to experience the cover of God. But beyond all that, church, what I really want you to see this morning is what we find in a perfect God. A God that loves us a God that is there for us, that steps in when we need him. I asked my wife if I could share this with you this morning, and I've hastened through my message because I want to share with you maybe a lengthy closing illustration. Along these thoughts of problems, promises, and perfection. In 1996, Rachel and I, that summer, we'd been married two years. We were still young whippersnappers. I was 26. She was either 24 or 25. Married for two years, no kids, poor as we could be, and happy. We were serving the Lord together up in New Hampshire. I was a youth pastor and a Christian school teacher. Rachel was working in the office there. And that summer, we found out that Rachel's mom had cancer. And uh, she was, her parents were in Alaska. We were in New Hampshire, about as far apart as you could get. And so she heard, we heard about that. And um, at some point, we, we, they determined that Rachel's mom should come to the lower 48 for this surgery. And so they decided on going to Portland, Oregon, to a hospital there and she would get this surgery she needed. And um, things at that time seemed somewhat hopeful and good. There was a plan in place. 
And so she had this surgery, and it was about the time uh, my brother and his two young boys at that time, my nephews, they came to visit us in New Hampshire from Ohio, and and we knew the that my mother-in-law was having this surgery, and but that but but things were going to be okay, we thought, and and so Rachel got up early on a Saturday morning to make breakfast for uh, us, uh, her nephews, my brother, and myself, and. And while she was making that breakfast, the phone rang early. Remember I said problems can come at any time of the day? This one came early. She answered the phone and it was her dad. And as I was watching her on the phone, I could tell right away that something wasn't right. And Rachel began to cry and said okay and got off the phone. And we found out that during that surgery... Uh, they thought it was a success, but uh, over the next day and a half or so, my mother-in-law went into a coma. Uh, her body had swollen up uh, nearly two, two and a half times its normal size. There was something wrong internally. And it was a very critical point in time. Uh, my father-in-law said, you need to come out. I don't know that mom's going to make it. And so... This was back in the days, I don't even know how we did it, I don't even know who we called, but somehow we got tickets that morning, and by that afternoon we were in Boston, Massachusetts, boarding a plane and flying to Portland, Oregon, and got there that, that evening. Went right to the hospital, and uh, some other family had gotten there by this point, and they had kind of braced us and told Rachel, it's, it's, it doesn't look good. And we walked into that ICU room, my wife and I, and saw my mother-in-law. And my wife immediately began to weep. It looked nothing like her mom. She was in such poor condition. And she's standing there by her bedside, and of course she, her mom was not conscious, and she's weeping. And I was standing there next to her, but I didn't know for sure how to comfort her at that moment, and I was just trying to support her, and there was a man in the room, a nurse. He was a black man, and he had an amazing, I would call it a vibe about him. And he came over to my wife. He said, hey, sis, because this is your mama. And he goes, I want you to know this. I got her on this side. I'm going to take care of her. He goes, and I need you to be strong. And I need you to talk to God and ask God to work from that side. And that gave us a little bit of hope as he comforted us there. And I remember him squeezing my wife and said, we're going to get through this. And those were some encouraging, encouraging words. I don't know if I ever saw him again after that moment, but it certainly was a great blessing, and I've remembered that since then. They went back in and did an exploratory surgery, and what they found out is during that original surgery, they had nicked one of her organs and closed her up. And that organ was releasing all kinds of toxins in her body and infecting her body. Well, after they fixed that, they, she began to improve, and after several weeks in the hospital, she was released. I had gone back home. Rachel had stayed out there for a time. And um, eventually then they decided it was in the best interest for us to take, or for my father-in-law to take her back to Ohio where she continued her treatment, back where more family and loved ones were. And so there was a real difficult season of chemo, but eventually my mother-in-law was declared cancer-free. 
And then in real short time, another problem. The cancer came back. And there were lots of problems this time. Culminating to April of 1999, sitting in a hospice, watching my mother-in-law take her last days, last moments, last breaths. My mother-in-law eventually went into a coma, and after several days in that unit, a hospice nurse told us we were very close to my mother-in-law's last moments. Family gathered around. And this is when, I want to tell you, church, when Psalm 91 became an important passage to me. In 1999, her pastor, he spoke here last year, Jerry Seiler. I don't know if you remember him. He was here for our I Love America Sunday last year. He got up. He was in the room with us, and he said, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture. He goes, some time ago I preached a message entitled 911, a message to use during emergencies, he said. He said after he had preached it, that Kathy wrote him a note, my mother-in-law wrote him a note and told, her, told him how much it helped her. It was one of her, her favorite messages she had ever heard. And so he read Psalm 91 that day, and he emphasized verse number 11, 9111, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. But I heard the many promises in that passage that day. Uh, those were the things that were grabbing hold of my heart. And so on that day, in fact, I have it written in my Bible, written on the day that my mother-in-law, Kathy, went home to be with the Lord, read on that day, uh, on the day that my mother-in-law went home to be with the Lord. See, there were problems and promises, but I want to show you how God's perfection showed up. We left that hospice center maybe 30 minutes after Rachel's mom had died. We're still pretty young. We're 29 and 27 now. Got two kids, still poor, and, uh, but now just lost a mom who was only 49 years old. And I really feared for Rachel. How would she respond? What would I say to her? We're walking to the car that, that afternoon. I was holding her hand, not saying anything. Walking, and then Rachel stops. And she looks at me, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she says, can you imagine what my mom has already experienced? And she had this huge smile on her face. I said, what do you mean? She goes, she's seen Jesus. She doesn't have cancer anymore. Uh, she's been perfectly healed. And the whole tone of this difficult, trying time changed in our lives. And I realized God's grace, God's mercy was through this the entire time. Rachel looked at me, she says, my mom is okay. Now church, we wanted and we desired that my mom, my mother-in-law would be healed and would still be with us to this day. That's what we wanted. And oftentimes God does that. And I'm grateful for the many people that have experienced uh, God's healing power here on the earth, and, and we pray for that. But I know this, there's a perfect God that gets us through even the most difficult of times, that shows up when we need Him. 
I was expecting a basket case. I was expecting my wife to be frantic. I was expecting my wife to perhaps even be angry. But I saw God show up and bring His perfect peace that only He can provide. Church, I don't know what the problem is you're going through. Well, I do know some of your problems. And I'm grateful for the promises, but I want to tell you today, you've got a wonderful God you can trust completely. You can look to Him. You can lean on Him. You can depend upon Him. You can walk with Him through these journeys, these battles, these problems we're going to face. You might say today, I don't have any problems right now. Well, buckle up. They're coming. You're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial. That's part of this life. And we need to lean on a good, perfect, wonderful God that will bring you through the difficulties of life. Psalm 91. It's a, it's a psalm to get us through the difficulties of life through His promises and through His presence. Let's trust in the Lord God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As I said, I might know of a handful of problems in this room, difficulties in this room. But there's, I can promise you, there's a bunch I don't know about. I may not know your particular matter, what you're going through, but God does. Church, I want to encourage you today, would you lean on Him? Would you trust His perfect presence and His perfect plan? God cannot make a mistake. Trust Him. Lean on Him. Father, I pray today that You would continue to work in hearts now. Father, that You would help us today to surrender to Your will and to Your leading in our lives. Lord, I pray today if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray today they'd come to find that true peace. Lord, I pray if there's a a Christian that's wandered away from the covering of God, under the shadow of God, and they've just walked away, they've backslidden, Lord, that today they'd come back underneath that protective covering that you provide. Lord, I pray today for those that are going through the difficulties. Lord, there are folks here today that have cancer diagnosis, that have uh, financial concerns, that have, uh, Father, perhaps uh, just some emotional concerns. Lord, may they look for your presence today and your promises today. Oh God, would you do a work here this morning? Lord, may your will be done in this invitation, in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand right where you're at today? And the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning, here's an altar where you can find the presence of God. You can find His help today. We've got folks here that are willing to pray with you this morning. Be a help to you. If the Lord's touched your heart this morning, you respond here today.